Well, it's my joy and privilege this evening to share with you from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you would turn there with me, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, and we'll be looking at verses 16 to 20 together. My wife and I appreciate you, Countryside Bible Church, and the ministry you have here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and especially your ministry to us as we uh, plant a church in Papua New Guinea. And uh, we are thankful for your prayers and your love and your support. And this uh, weekend and the week leading up to it has been a real blessing for my family and I. Unfortunately, today, Jonathan is trying his best to destroy my voice, so I trust it will, it will last through the sermon. Um, if you're at Matthew 28, would you read along with me? We'll start in verse 16. There, Matthew writes for us, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, this evening, let me start by telling you something about the small mountain village in the jungle of Papua New Guinea where we work. Uh, the name of the village is Mawarero Village. Um, it's a community that is very poor. Uh, many people lack good clothes or they have only one set of clothes which they'll wear all the time until it's threadbare and then try and get their hands on another one. Everything for them like clothes or tools or nails and things that you need to buy in town is very hard to access. You have to hike out the jungle mountains and then take a dinghy across the bay uh, for a few hours, and then you come up to town. And as I've mentioned this morning in our studies, they're frightened of town. It's a scary place for them to be. There's a lot of crime, a lot of danger for them. The healthcare is not very good. Uh, in all of the country, they're working hard to improve it, uh, but it is not at the standards that we would call good. And especially in the village, which is so far deep in the jungle, uh, things like people have sores all the time that tend to fester and increase to the point where you need to add penicillin. Um, there's TB, it's rampant, there's typhoid. Uh, there's very little supplies that ever make it to the doctor in our village. And so there's great need there for healthcare. Education and literacy is at very low levels. There's no electricity. People, some people who can afford it have a battery and a solar power that charges that up, a car battery. Let me tell you about the church. The church has been in our village since the 60s when missionaries came in, Papua New Guinean missionaries that came from the east, and they brought Lutheranism into our church, uh, into our village. We don't have the whole Bible in the Doe language that our people speak. Our church, the, the Lutheran church, they have really old instruments and the strings are missing and they're broken and there's nothing fancy like this there. Uh, they need new guitars, they need tambourines, they need new drums, things like that. The church building is in disrepair and I'm pretty sure in 10 years will fall down. 
Now, if you go to a book like uh, Operation uh, World or one of these missions books and you, you were to go and read in there what are the statistics for Christianity in Papua New Guinea, what you'd find is something like this. They are 95.8% Christian, about 25% evangelical and 1% unevangelized. So the question I want to pose to you this evening is what, based on this information that I've given you, would you say our missions in Mawarero should be? I can tell you what they want. They would like us to bring them relief from the very difficult life that they experience. They would love for us to come in and give them uh, material goods and uh, ease life for them and help them to flourish in this world. They want to be healthy and wealthy and free of sickness and disease and hardship. They want their lives transformed in a very practical way. And as you know, there are many churches and missions organizations that believe that is exactly what we should be doing in that village. In fact, go and do this, uh, not now, but go and Google and add the words uh, church or mission or Christian to any of those needs that I listed for you, healthcare, education, and that, those needs, and you will find that there is an organization or a church that is dedicated exactly to meeting that particular need. And here's the thing. You find other missions organizations, other people like us who are focused not on those things, but on preaching the gospel, planting churches, and training men for ministry within that region. There seem to be many options out there, many ways of doing missions. And the thing is, all of us claim that we're fulfilling the Great Commission of Matthew 28. And so this evening, what I want to look at is what does the Scripture say, and specifically, what does Matthew 28 show us missions in Mawarero should be? And really, this is a, not only a, a, a text that missionaries love to preach, it really is very important for missions. Because, yeah, we do find the answer as to what is missions. What is missions according to the Bible? In these verses, Jesus, our master architect, our master builder, gives us his plan for building his church. And we find in this plan that there are eight aspects. There are eight aspects to Jesus' plan for the church and what missions need to be. And right up front, let me say this, that missions does not have multiple options. It is really a singular task that Jesus has given us, it's this mission he has given to the church is very narrow in its focus. Matthew 28 shows us we don't have a multitude of options, but only one, and it's this, we are to go out and plant churches. That is the mission of the church. Now this morning, if you were in the Bible studies, I gave, uh, we went through the Gospels and Acts, but tonight we are going to focus on just this one text, that text where Jesus, where Matthew records for us the mission that he gives to the church. And as we work through these verses, you'll see that our mission's efforts in Mawarero, or actually anywhere in the world, are to fall within this narrow focus of planting churches. 
This is Christ's plan. And whatever tasks, and there are many that we can undertake within this narrow focus, but whatever we undertake, it needs to be within these boundaries that Christ gives us in this passage. And we find here that the first aspect of our mission that Christ gives us is the laborers of the church's mission. That is all disciples. Have a look at verse 16. Matthew writes, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. He had just recorded for us in his gospel Jesus' death and resurrection and then the lie that the soldiers and the Pharisees and so on spread about Jesus that his body was stolen away. And then he comes back and he says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Now Matthew, yeah, focuses on the 11 Judas is dead, he betrayed Christ, and so he focuses on the 11, and it's because Matthew is one of them, and these are his hand-picked, trained men that Christ had spent so much time with, and they would be the foundation of the church. And so they are the ones who spearhead the instructions, the commands, the mission that Jesus gives here. But we don't have time to survey Acts and um, to see this, but we, we can see from this text, this is not only for the 11. You can't say this text is just for the apostles. It's for you and I. It's for all the disciples. All disciples are laborers in this great commission. We could go to Acts and survey that, but it's enough to stay in this text because if you look further down in verse 19, Jesus says, go make disciples of all the nations. That's the scope, all the nations. And then he says in the last verse, verse 20, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So both by where we need to go and how long we need to do it, we know this is not just the 11. They didn't reach everywhere, did they? This is ongoing for all disciples until Christ returns. So even in this passage, we know it's for you and I. In fact, if we turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we won't do that now. But if you remember, Paul there recalls that at some time, Jesus appeared to more than 500 disciples at one time. And think about this is in Galilee. This is where most of Jesus' disciples are. And it's most likely a reference to this point in time. Jesus is speaking to the 11, but he's speaking to all his disciples at that time. And so this first aspect is, is that the laborers are all disciples. And that is important to understand. It's you and I who are part of this commission. Now, we are all laborers in this mission because Christ has commanded us, and that leads us to the second aspect. The foundation of the church's mission is the lordship of Christ. It's so easy to lose sight of this as we read through these verses. Now, think of this. Jesus had just been executed. He had been arrested. He had gone through these trials. He had been executed on the cross by the Jews through the hand of the Romans, and this was like a tornado. It just scattered all his disciples as they fled that night and as they then viewed these events, and it blew away in their minds any expectation of seeing Christ again. And yet Yari was alive and in the flesh, and so look at verse 17 with me. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. 
it's interesting, some doubted. Do you know what that is? Just think about this. That this is evidence that Jesus was fully human and he actually died on the cross. Because these people were eyewitnesses of his death and execution. They were shocked to see him alive because they were absolutely certain that he was dead. And so really, this is just as a side note, this is evidence of Jesus' full humanity and the truthfulness that he died on the cross. But they also got it, didn't they? And they worshiped him. Because as Paul says in Romans 1 verse 4, he writes there, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And what do you do when you come face to face with your Messiah and the Son of God? You worship him. And so that was appropriate. But Matthew's focus here is on the declaration that Jesus makes. Look at the verse again. He's, uh, when they, uh, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is, this is so important because the very next thing he says is, Go therefore. Now think about this. Jesus says, It has been given to me. Who gave that to Jesus? It was God the Father. Turn with me to Philippians 2. Paul speaks about this while calling on the church uh, in, in Philippi to exercise humility and put each other first. And he points to Christ. And in that beautiful passage, uh, speaking about Christ's humility, uh, Paul says the following in Philippians 2 verse 8. You see, God the Father gave Christ authority because he had humbled himself in obedience. Look at what Paul says here, Philippians 2 verse 8. Being found in the appearance as a man, so Jesus was fully human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This authority of Christ is the very lifeblood and foundation of the church's mission. That is why Jesus makes the statement and then he says, therefore go make disciples. His lordship has implications for the church. And we start to see those implications in the third aspect of the church's mission. That's the right of the church's mission, the prerogative of Christ. Now, I love that word. It, it's not one I would use in common speech, but this word is a great word at this point. Look at verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You know, today, we hear a lot of talk about rights, don't we? That is always in the public conversation, rights. We have a right to this, we have a right to that. Most of that is unbiblical and just the wishful thinking of fallen humankind. But we as disciples of Christ, we have the right to undertake the mission that Christ has given us. 
because Jesus has the prerogative. Listen to the definition of what prerogative means. This is the Oxford English Dictionary. I'm from a British site, so I don't quote Webster's. I quote Oxford. That's the authority. The first definition. Prerogative means the special right or privilege exercised by a monarch or king or a head of state over all other people which overrides the law and is in theory subject to no restriction. While in Christ's case there is no theory, he is just not subject to any restriction. Another definition is the special right or privilege possessed by a person, class, or body. God gave Jesus prerogative. He gave him the special right over all authorities, whether they're angelic, demonic, or earthly. He overrides all laws of all authorities in heaven and on earth. He stands above them. He is subject to none of them. He has prerogative. And as Christ's body, the church, we have been given by him prerogative. It is our right to fulfill our mission. That means that when we as a church obey Christ and fulfill this mission, there is no authority, there is no law that can prohibit us from doing so. The apostles understood this, and we see them exemplify it in their ministry. Turn quickly with me over to the book of Acts, chapter 5. And what we see there is how the apostles exemplify this. Acts 5, verse 28. They have been arrested while preaching in the temple precincts. And they're brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the council, and the high priest questions them. And then he says to them in verse 28 of Acts 5, he says, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. Jump to verse 42. Don't you love what they did? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and pre preaching Jesus as the Christ. That is because they understand that because of Christ's mediated authority to them, they had the right to fulfill their mission. And even though the law prohibited them, they had the right to continue. This has implications for the church's mission. That means if you, my friend, as a disciple of Christ, you are his laborer to fulfill his mission and you have the right to do so even when the law prohibits you. Even when our countries are starting to pass laws which prevent us from preaching against sin. As more and more places start to outlaw things like biblical counseling, or conversions to Christ, or preaching Christ. You know, it's becoming narrower and narrower. I'm starting to read things like the Bible is the problem. We still have the right, the prerogative, to continue to fulfill our mission. 
We need to be like those laborers who work on those skyscrapers, high up in the air, standing on a, on a single beam, or like first responders. We fearlessly continue doing our job, despite the dangers to us. In our case, God's charge to Joshua stands. What did he say to me? He said, be strong and very courageous. And you know, here's the thing, we can, when we are called and if we are called to that kind of situation, we can do so with a clear conscience. Know that we are actually honoring God and glorifying Him by continuing to make disciples. His Lordship is also the foundation of the fourth aspect of our mission. And that is this, the message of the church's mission is proclaiming Christ as Lord. Look again, he says there, all authority, verse 18, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. His authority has implications, his lordship has implications for how we make disciples. In order for us to fulfill our mission, we need to preach Christ. That is the heart of the gospel message is that Jesus Christ is Lord. We proclaim his authority. Think about Peter at Pentecost and what he preached in that sermon. In Acts 2 verse 36 we read the following. Peter uh, proclaiming the authority, the lordship of Christ. Acts 2 verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus of Nazareth, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, the Lordship of Christ, this authority of Christ underlies our message. It means we preach the fact that he has all authority. He is the Lord. It means that we preach the consequences of that. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, you are accountable to him as judge. God has appointed Jesus Christ as the judge of heaven and earth. All will stand before him on judgment day. Therefore, you need to repent. You are guilty before him. You need repentance. Yeah, in Acts 2 verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 40 we read, and with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. We preach that, we preach Christ is Lord and we preach you need to repent because you stand condemned before your Lord. That's the consequence of his lordship. But we also need to preach the exclusivity of Christ. He alone has been given authority over heaven and earth. There is no other. And so when the apostles declare, they declare the following in Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. In Mawarero, when we preach the gospel and we start in Genesis and we show them who the creator is, and we show them who the Lord is. 
we preach Christ as Lord. If we had not done that, if we had not shown them the exclusivity of Christ, Christ as the Creator, Christ as the Savior, Christ as the Judge, Christ as the one who will come and set up his kingdom. If we did not do that, all they would have done is what they did in the past when missionaries came in, and they simply add him to their existing beliefs. He becomes another thing to add to what we do, just some more rituals. If they don't hear about Christ and his lordship, they twist the message. For example, in our village, because they did not hear the gospel clearly and they did not understand the scriptures, one of the clans among which we work, their view of Christ and God was the following. God the Father is an evil God. He is wicked and malicious to humankind. He does evil and and just kills people and does wicked things. But he had a son. And that son is kind and gentle, and he doesn't like his father and the way his father acts. And so he came to earth and taught us how to do good things. But now that we've preached Christ as Lord to them, they realize that it's Jesus who created this nature around us. That nature does not have power those spirits that we believe in, that exist there, these are subject to Christ. These are under his authority. These are created by him. By him and for him, he has authority over them. They've learned about the need for repentance from sin and accountability to Christ as their judge. That only faith in his work on the cross on their behalf, his death on their behalf can save them and not the rituals and the works that they've been undertaking in order to be right with him. The Lord Christ alone, they've heard, is the hope of their salvation. And so the Lordship of Christ affects the message that we preach. So what does Jesus say about our mission as the church? He says we are all laborers in that mission All disciples are the laborers. He said the foundation of that mission is his authority. His lordship gives us the right to undertake that mission. And the message of our mission is that Jesus is Lord. But where must we go and preach this message to fulfill our mission? We find that in verse 19. And this is the fifth aspect, the scope of the church's mission. It's all the nations. In Matthew, again, we read there in verse 19. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations. In Jesus' construction project, right, it covers the whole world. Why? Jesus is Lord of all the earth, and therefore Jesus needs to be proclaimed in all the earth. We proclaim his lordship everywhere and declare to all men everywhere that they need to repent. And this has always been God's plan. Think about his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. The purpose of calling Abraham is in order for him to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Or in Isaiah 49, verse 6, we read, I will make you a light 
of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And this has implications for us as a church as we labor to fulfill our mission. We must not limit ourselves. We must not limit ourselves to build ourselves up here in the local body alone. We must send out mature believers to plant and edify churches where there is no biblically sound church. You see, Christ is like that pebble that falls in a glassy pond and then you've got those waves that just continue spreading, spreading, spreading until they've covered that entire pond. Well, Jesus is like that pebble that breaks that and we as disciples are like that wave as one church plants the next church plants the next until we've covered the earth and we find disciples on among all the nations and so we must go to all the nations the next question we can ask is what is it that Jesus says we actually have to do what are the actual tasks he wants all his disciples to labor at and we find the answer in verses 19 and 20 and this is the sixth aspect of our mission it's the tasks of the church's mission. Let's read those verses together. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The first task Jesus gives us is simply go. He is Lord of all the earth, and so we must go to all the earth. We are not to be lazy laborers, but diligent, faithful, Family, think of your children, that's a missions field. Think of mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents. Think of your friends, think of your work colleagues, think of people you don't know. The way I like to think of it is if it's human and alive, it's a target for our mission. And in our going, we need to be intentional. This is, we need to pray for opportunities to preach Christ. We need to make opportunities to preach Christ. We need to take every opportunity and preach Christ. And when we are intentional like that, Jesus builds his church. He builds the local congregation. You are evidence of that. And he expands it within that local community but we must constantly be pushing outward, constantly pushing out to all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus wants us to be those who constantly keep our eyes on the horizon, constantly looking for those opportunities. Look to the next suburb, look to the next town, look to the next cultural group, look to the next language, look to the next nation. Remember Jesus' word to the apostles, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. And for the Jews, just as much as it is for us today in a very churched society, very churched culture, we can become very inward and self-focused. The Jews were very self-focused. They thought only of themselves as that privileged group. But, and it's easy for us to become very comfortable in 
this church is wonderful. But that's a danger we face. We become too comfortable. But Christ said, go. Go to the ends of the earth. And you know what? We took that literally because the mountains within which we work are called the Finister Mountains. And that's literally, in Latin, the end of the earth. Well, that's the first task, go. And we need to be intentional about it. The second is this, make disciples. Go make disciples. And when Christ says make disciples, he's simply saying, do what I did. That was Jesus' ministry. He made disciples. He went through the towns and villages of Israel preaching his word, calling people to believe in him, to have faith in him, and repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And those who believed in him were his disciples. They followed him and eagerly listened to his word. They obeyed him. That's what you should think about when you think about a disciple. It is a believing, obedient learner. That's a disciple. And remember this, how we make disciples is to do exactly what Jesus did, and that is preach the word. That is how we make disciples. Listen to this. This is Peter. Listen to how he describes this. 1 Peter 1 verse 23, I'll read it for us. For you have been born again. How? How have we been born again? You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. How did you become a disciple? Was it your parents faithfully teaching you the scriptures and calling you to faith in Christ? Was it a friend who invited you to Countryside Bible Church and you heard the gospel and you believed in Christ? Like my grandfather, it was me, his grandson, sitting with him in his last weeks after 90 years of being a hardened sinner. He heard the gospel and he turned to Christ. Is it a Sunday school teacher that has been faithful to teach you through the stories of the Bible and show you who Christ is and call you to faith? Is it a preacher you heard on the radio, some famous guy, right? Or heard on the internet? Was it perhaps, as I've seen many kind times, someone said to you, hey, you've got problems, go and see the biblical counselor at my church, and while you're sitting there, you get saved. Is it a new church plant that's going around the neighborhood and preaching the gospel and evangelizing? Or in the case as us on the missions field, is it, is it a, a missionary I, I heard about? Uh, is it a faithful doctor working uh, in China, being faithful not only to, to, to use his medical abilities to love and serve people, but to constantly be preaching the gospel and pulling people into the church, making disciples? Is it a teacher in a school teaching English to you as a foreigner? Helping you read the Bible and calling you to repentance and faith in Christ? Or is it some missionary that's been sent out to your jungle village to preach Christ and plant a church? Now I want to, you to note something at this point. It is not just doing good Bible-based deeds that make disciples. That does not make disciples. Let me say that again. Just doing good Bible-based deeds do not make disciples. The miracles of Christ 
Think about those, the healing, the casting out demons, all those good deeds Jesus did, they were not the message. The deeds were not the message. The good health that everyone in Israel got, the free food, that was not the message. That was not the purpose of Jesus' ministry. A disciple is not a man or woman who is excited about Jesus because he makes me flourish in this world and causes me to have a material life that is wonderful, my best life now. The purpose of Jesus' miracles and good deeds was always to draw attention to and to attest to the truthfulness of his person and his message that he was proclaiming. To attest to the word of God proclaimed. Luke says, he records for us, the people when hearing Christ, they said, what is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. In verse 43 of Luke 4, it says, He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. I must preach to them, for this is why I was sent, to preach the word. The apostles too. The apostles too, the focus of all that they did was the word of the Lord. And so we find that whenever Luke summarizes the growth of disciples in the church, he says, it is the word of, law, of the Lord. The word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. See, doing good deeds as a Christian in the name of Christ is not making disciples. One missiologist, Hesselgrave, he says the following, I quote, people of goodwill, of all religions and no religion can and do address the human need for food and clothing and shelter and health and education and justice and so on. But Christians and Christians only can be expected to preach the gospel and win men and women of all nations to Jesus Christ and establish churches that will worship and witness until Christ returns." End quote. Friends of mine, uh, Brian Biederbach and Joel James, they wrote the following in an article critiquing certain missions views nowadays. They said this, quote, the Apostle Paul did not say that God was well pleased to save sinners through the foolishness of the gospel mercied, but rather through the foolishness of the message preached. You see, preaching Christ from the scriptures is what makes disciples. Paul said this in Romans 1.16, and you know these verses very well, do you not? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So what would have happened in Mauerero if we came in and helped their poverty, the water situation, the medical, the school, and we never made preaching Christ and planting churches our focus, what would have happened? Many of you heard this this morning, but I need, it needs repeating tonight. What would have happened if we went and did those things, but planting a church was not our focus? Because we looked at it and we said, oh wait, there's a church already. And 1% is unevangelized, and so let's just go and meet those needs. What would have happened? 
I'll tell you what would have happened. Their worldview is this. Through my animism, through my acts of obedience to the animistic rituals, saying the right words, doing the right things, not going to sacred places in the bush, by doing all those things they have before Christianity ever came, they believed by doing those things they would have good health, their they would be prosperous. For in, in other words, that meant at that time many pigs and many wives, okay? And that they would have ease and life would be good for them by doing those things. That was the goal of doing those things. Well, bringing Jesus and the, 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 the type of Christianity that came in there, now all they needed to do was add baptism and the ritual of communion and obeying the commandments, and those things they say, if we do those things, then we will get health, wealth, and an easy life. Well, if we went in there and all we did was bring good health, good education, and help them have access to cargo, all we would have done was reinforced paganism. And on, on Judgment Day, Matthew 7, 23 would be like, true of them. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. But I can tell you today, we have been faithful to the mission that Christ has given us and we have preached the gospel. And you know what? There are disciples in Mauerero. And it was not because Zach and I are great preachers. It is simply because we explained the Bible and God saved them. And so we are, that is how you make disciples. And what must we do with disciples? Jesus says we must baptize them. Those who have believed in him have turned from their sins need to make a public profession and undergo baptism to show that they are fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ and as a witness to that. And you know what? God's plan for His church is that these disciples who are baptized gather together in local congregations where they are dedicated to continue learning from the Word of God from which they were born. And so Jesus says, our fourth task is to teach them all that I have commanded you. The disciples, as we see them in the Gospels, were dedicated to Christ's word. Let me read some verses for you from John 14, John 15, and John 17. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So a disciple is someone who loves Christ's he loves his word and he obeys him. John 15 verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. John 17 verse 17, Sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. That means we as Jesus' disciples need constantly to be taught the Bible. We need to be discipled. We need to be counseled. And this takes place in the context of the local church. We don't all have the same role 
to the same extent, but we are all involved. The primary teaching and shepherding is qualified elders. But then think about what the Scriptures say. Think about what uh, Paul writes to Titus. Older women must disciple the younger women. Mature believers should disciple immature believers. Parents teach their children, friends. It just goes on and on. We all have a role to play. As we use those gifts that God has given each of us, those spiritual gifts to build one another up in the body of Christ. And this is God's design within the context of the local church. And here's the thing. When we as the local church are faithful to do these things, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach them all that Jesus has commanded us, when we do this within the context of the local church, that local church is healthy, strong, mature, and they cannot help but send out disciples elsewhere to make more disciples. Did you not just plant a church in North Lake? And it's already at, what, 300 people? That is amazing. That is exactly this mission being fulfilled. And you know what? I bet you within a few years they are going to plant a church too. Now this mission can be daunting. It can be. And in our world that's becoming more and more hostile to us, it is important that we have the seventh aspect which Christ gave us, the confidence of our mission. That is Christ is with us. Look, Matthew 5 verse 20. Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My friends, those words are so precious to us as we undertake our mission. We are alone, two families in the middle of the jungle, and we know Christ is with us. And those words should encourage you and they should motivate you that as you pursue this disciple-making mission that God has given you, they should encourage you that Christ is with you. It can be hard to start a gospel conversation. It can be hard to address a family member or a colleague with the gospel. But Christ is with you and he will help you and he will enable you. Rely on him. So, because Jesus has authority over heaven and earth, and so whether you're at the dinner table in the home or the jungle of PNG, there's no place Christ is not with you to keep you and enable you with this. Keep that in mind. Christ is not distant, He is close by, but neither is He temporary. And so, He is with us always. And that's the eighth aspect of this mission. It's the duration of the church's mission. It's until Christ returns. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The point is, you have this task until I come back. And I'm with you that whole time. Jesus promised, I will build my church. And so Christ is with us. The church is called the bride of Christ. It is the church that is the body of Christ, of which we are told Christ is the head. It is Christ who gave himself for the church, and Christ promised to build his church, 
And it is to the church that we are told in Ephesians, he has given gifted leaders so that they can equip believers to serve one another and keep building his body. Are we surprised that the task and the mission Jesus has given us is to plant churches? The needs in Mauerero and all over the world are varied and many, but these eight aspects we've gone through in this uh, passage of Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, they show us that Jesus' mission is narrow and it's focused, and it's this, we are to plant churches. We are to build his body. And that happens when one body that is growing, maturing, sends out those disciples who are mature to go and plant new churches. And those churches then plant new churches. And those churches then plant new churches. And do you realize it is because the apostles were faithful to the commission given to them on this day, and they went out and they preached the gospel, and then they, Paul shepherded Timothy, and Timothy found, found faithful people, and he shepherded them, and they continued to plant churches until countryside in South Lake was a church till my home church in Pretoria was a church. And now you guys have sent us out and now there's a church in the jungle of Papua New Guinea. And you know what? When our church has matured and grown and we have elders, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna go out and plant churches. And that is what missions is about. Let us pray. Father God, we are so thankful to you for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. We praise you and thank you that he has not only set the example of ministry of making disciples, but he has equipped us. He has been building his church. He is with us always, even to the end of the age. We thank you that he continues to build the church, to make disciples, to grow them through his word and form them until they are in the image of Christ. And we thank you that through bodies like Countryside Bible Church and the many other faithful churches you have around the world, you continue to send out disciples to make more disciples, not only within that church and in that suburb and in that city and in that province and in that state and in that country, but the next one and as far as Papua New Guinea. Father God, our prayer is that you would save many, bring many to humble themselves before Christ our Lord, uh, help us to be faithful to proclaim that message with courage, courage like Joshua had, continuously looking to the horizon, continuously praying for opportunities, continuously faithfully modeling Christ in our lives and preaching Christ our Savior. Oh God, we pray that you would bless our efforts and draw many in the village of Mauarero to yourself and may you raise up a village which has a church which is mature and then reaches out to the Doe people and beyond. And Lord, we trust this all to our precious Savior and his enabling. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.